again, who are we reaching to ask them to take this survey? Are we finding the right group of people? Are we actually promoting the survey to the right places also? So that's kind of an interesting thing that we're going to be looking at when we do this again in two years. What are the latest trends in nurse case management and why is the field burgeoning so robustly at this time in history? Let's talk all about it with Deanna Gillingham of the Case Management Institute right here on this episode of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you and your career, the healthcare system, your professional development, and I'm here to share education, diatribes, ideas, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people around. I love having you along for the ride. And if you'd like to help other people find the show, consider leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I'd really appreciate if you would do that. And I encourage you to head over to nursekeith.com to the drop down podcast menu to find show notes for this episode. And we are here with my friend and colleague, Deanna Gillingham. Deanna, this is, I think, is your third time on the show. So you're kind of up there with the people who kind of like keep cycling back to the show, which is really cool. And I'm happy to have you here. And we've talked about case management before. And it's, you know, it's a, like I said, at the top of the show, it's a really burgeoning field. And why is case management such a good choice for certain nurses? What is it about it that works for them? Well, thank you, first of all, for having me on the show a third time. I really appreciate it. Sure. Um, It's kind of like my annual thing to do for Case Management Week is to get out here and just toot the horn of what a great career this can be for the right nurse. And um, so to answer your question, you know, why is it such a great career choice? I think one of the reasons is, you know, as we get older and we have experience and we're not ready to leave, this is just one of the many reasons but we're not ready to really leave the bedside and we have all this experience and all of this um, knowledge that we have to share. And, but maybe our bodies aren't quite keeping up with the um, rigorous floor nursing, 12 hour shifts. And it's so a lot of people like myself did not want to go into management. I didn't want to leave bedside and go into management and manage nurses and deal with schedules and meetings and all of that. I still wanted to have patient interaction. So for me personally, this was a great choice because I didn't have the physically demanding job of a bedside nurse, but I was still able to teach my patients, advocate for my patients and do all the things that I love. Like if you put it on a list of things that were my favorite parts of nursing, you know, teaching and advocating were probably at the top of that list. So these, I was able to take these things and put them into a new career as a case manager. Mm-hmm. Those, those are really good reasons. And I have to tell you, like in my coaching practice, I can't even enumerate how many people come to me saying that they want to get out of bedside nursing. And you can't blame them. I mean, bedside nursing is rough. The pandemic's been really rough on people who are in acute care. And case management is one of those particular specialties where you can do what many of us came into nursing to do, like you said, 
You know, it's like the, it's the relationship, it's the communication, it's the teaching, connecting people with resources. So there's, there's a lot to say about why case management works. And I often refer people to the Case Management Institute, which is your organization, because that's where they can learn about case management. And this year in 2022, you created a case management salary and trends survey report in concert with the Case Management Society of America, right? Correct. So this is our third case management salary and trend survey. We do them every other year. And CMSA, the Case Management Society of America, also was doing a survey. And we felt it was confusing to people in our industry to have two surveys with a lot of the same information, some difference. So this year we collaborated and we combined our surveys and we had one survey that went out to all case managers asking them to um, answer some questions about their salaries, their job satisfaction, and just to get kind of like a little bit of a a pulse on who today's case managers are, um, how satisfied they are, how happy they are, what they do, those types of things. Mm -hmm. And do we call them nurse case managers or do we solely call them case managers? That is such a good question. Yeah. So case management is a multidisciplinary um, field. So you have, you don't, you do not have to be a nurse to be a case manager. Now, that being said, our survey showed that probably a little over 90% of case managers tend to be nurses, but they also can be social workers. They can be occupational therapists, speech therapists. They can be respiratory therapists, physical therapists. They can be physicians. So um, pharmacists, really anybody who is allowed to do a assessment, an independent assessment as part of their license or education can work as a case manager. Mm -hmm. And you surveyed 4,500 people? We surveyed 2,000 case managers and we compared that with the um, American Nurse Journal who did a nurse trends and salary survey and they had 4,000 participants Oh, that's where the 4,000 came from. Okay. And what you found is that it was over 96% held some sort of professional license, either medical, health, or human services related. So most of them have some kind of license and a degree. And you found that, um, let's see, 35% were between the ages of 51 and 60. 25% were between the ages of 41 and 50, and 21% were 61 to 70. So you can see how it skews slightly older, and that could speak somewhat to what you were saying a few minutes ago about how once you've kind of gotten over the rigors of like acute care, for instance, and your body isn't really wanting to cooperate with a physically demanding job, maybe case management might work for you once you're in your forties. Absolutely. And in addition to that, most companies or hospitals or systems that hire case managers, they want somebody with as vast of acute care experience as possible Usually when hiring, they want at least two years of recent acute care hospital experience. And the reason for that is they want you to be up to date on what's going on with healthcare, with the patient population. 
not to say that you can't get a case management job without that, but the reason I think a lot of our our case managers are a little bit older than the average nurse is because it's not an entry level position. It's something that you go into after you have some experience as a nurse, and then you move into case management. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and you know, continuing to unpack the the salary and trends survey. 96.5% of the respondents identified as female. So yes. it's a vast preponderance of, of women and more than we would see in nursing, which is about 90% or 89% or something. So it still skews female and it still skews um, Caucasian as well. So 71% of respondents in 2020 identified as Caucasian and in 2022, still 71%. So what is it about it that has not lent itself to more diversity, equity, and inclusion? And and what, what kind of focus do you feel like will need to be redirected in order to change those demographics? That is a great question. And that's something that we look at each year because we feel that to really impact your clients, they need to, they need to feel like you get them. And, you know, they're more likely to listen to people that are like them. And so it's really important that we have a more diverse population of case managers. Um, I think one of the ways a lot of people seem to get their foot in the door of case management is networking. Somebody that they know has a job as a case manager, they're hiring. And so they ask them to ask their friends, you know, hey, we're hiring. Do you know anybody that would be a good fit for our place? And this is just purely speculation on my part. But I think, you know, when we do that, when we have a mostly Caucasian female group and we ask them to go ask their friends if they want to work with them, we're not broadening the people out there that we're bringing into. So it's something that we have discussed with CMSA and with other um, colleagues and leaders that we really do want to work at getting more diverse case managers out there. Now, the other kind of interesting nuance to this could also be that the people who took the survey were more the Caucasians, and that may not necessarily represent who the case managers are out there. Not to say that the survey results aren't very valid, but again, who are we reaching, you know, to ask them to take this survey? Are we finding the right group of people? Are we actually promoting the survey to the right places also? So that's kind of an interesting thing that we're going to be looking at when we do this again in two years. I think that's a worthy endeavor. And, you know, surveys and studies are as valid as the information as you can gather. And you all are doing a great job and you learn each time, right? What you can do better next time. And that just keeps increasing the validity and the the accuracy of the information. And I wanted to ask you, since 52% of case managers have a bachelor's degree and 85% are nurses, it seems like nursing is really sort of the predominant um, profession that embraces case management and is hired as case managers. And is having a bachelor's degree often required in a lot of case management jobs? I know 15% have an associate degree, but is, is 
a bachelor's really, could we consider it the entry level for most jobs? I think for nursing in general, that is the trend is Mm -hmm. tending to go towards bachelors. That's true. For case managers, I, what I'm finding, what I'm hearing is they would rather have somebody with the right experience and the right background than necessarily a bachelor. So all things being equal, if you had somebody who had a bachelor's and five years of experience, and let's just say oncology, and you had somebody with an associate with five years of experience in oncology, they would probably take the bachelor's. But if things were not equal and they had a year of experience and a bachelor's versus five years of experience and an associate, they're going to take the person with the experience over the bachelor's degree. Okay. So we shouldn't, it's not something we should fret about, but it's something we need to think about. And if we're looking for a job and we keep seeing bachelors, bachelors, bachelors everywhere we look, then that might tell us, yeah, maybe I need to go back to school. Yes. And I would say um, women are worse at this than men. Mm-hmm. And, but um, you don't have to meet all the box. You don't have to check off all the boxes. If you see a position, if you see a position and you think you would be good for it and it says bachelor's preferred and you don't have a bachelor's, but you have a lot of experience and you think you would be good at it, I would advise you to go ahead and apply anyway. Um, Mm -hmm. Men tend to do that more than women. We feel like if we don't check all the boxes that we're not good enough, but Mm -hmm. um, it's experience plays a really big role in this. And because as you know, when, you know, when you're in school and you learn about diabetes or you learn about oncology until you actually talk to a patient and you are with them and teaching them and seeing the problems that they're having. You can't educate somebody with something that you've never actually dealt with. And so that's where it's hard for us to advocate for our patients and to educate our patients unless we've actually done it before at the bedside. And then once you've done it, then you kind of have more experience to do it. As much as I love case management and it's a great role it does have some limitations. One of the limitations is a lot of um, case managers work telephonically. So because of that, you're not seeing with your eyes, you're seeing with your ears, you're seeing with what you, what I like to call your spidey senses when things just aren't adding up. So that's why the experience is such a, um, a big factor for people that are entering into case management, because you're probably not going to get any more bedside experience once you become a case manager. So you better have a pretty good, um, you you better kind of have that all underneath your belt before you get into case management. Sounds like a a really prudent piece of advice. And what I gleaned from, um, I'm on page 25 of the survey. Um, There's 42 pages, by the way, so there's a lot of data. It seems like the majority, well, not well, the largest number of case managers work in acute care. Let's just say that 30.8%. So they do work in a lot of other settings. And when you work in acute care, what I've encountered is the case manager works usually on one floor or two floors, you know, a couple units, and they kind of handle all the patient's needs, you know, as they're kind of the discharge planning starts to come together. So is that the case for most inpatient case managers? Is that what they're doing? And they're kind of covering a unit or several units? Yes. And it's not written in stone that it has to be that way, but it works very well that way. Um, For example, if you work on the oncology unit, you get to know the oncology doctors, you get to know, you know, where the outpatient clinics are. 
the issues that those types of patients are going to have. So it makes it easier. The same thing if you work on an ortho or a neuro floor, you get to know the doctors, you know how to get the patient the follow-up appointment that they need, not the one that when you call the office, the patient calls the office, they get one, you know, six weeks out where they just had a major surgery and they need to be, need to be seen in four days. So you, um, when you work on a specific unit, you get to know that the same thing with, um, emergency department case managers, they get to know the different resources for their individual populations, the people that come through the, um, you know, we call them the frequent flyers, the people that come through, those are the people that case managers can really impact. Why are they coming through so often? Do they have a primary care doctor? Do they have transportation to get to their primary care doctor? A lot of those resources. So Yes, when they when they are in certain departments in certain areas, they're better able to know the resources that are out there to help their clients and their population that they're serving. Yeah, and as far as other settings, like I was what we called it a nurse care manager. I did HIV and kind of um, very complex patient care management out of a federally qualified community health center in Massachusetts, and it was connected to a large health system, Bay State Health System. So we had kind of the hospitals, um, we had a collaboration with the hospital, but I could see that people who work in that kind of setting is a very small percentage, you know, like four or 5%. Um, what are some of the things you've found that people like about doing case management outside of acute care, you know, in a clinic or mental health setting or any other type of setting, you know, what, what do they like about that? That's a great question. And one of the popular places actually is a case manager in a home care setting. So you could work in yeah. home care, like for hospice or- I did that it, too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, I think a lot of nurses who are not ready to not have that real patient interaction, because even in an acute care setting, you're going to go in, you're going to interview the patient and you're going to leave, but you're not really having that hands-on patient care. Mm -hmm. And um, I believe what you did was more hands-on. You might have to do a dressing change. Yeah. You might have to do an assessment, like a head-to-toe physical assessment, where we're just doing these assessments that are more psychosocial and, and those types of things. So not every nurse is ready to go full-fledged away from seeing their patient, putting their eyes and their hands on their patient. So that is a great way for them to still get that patient interaction, that warm and fuzzy without necessarily um, still being at the bedside and turning patients and lifting patients and all of those hard things that are a little more difficult. And one of the things I also worked in a community setting, and one of the things that I liked was being able to go into the patient's home and seeing where they live, because it's easy to sit at the bedside and say, okay, when you go home, you need to do this, this, and this. But then when you see their house and you see the way it's set up and you see that the bathroom's on the second floor and they just had a hip replacement and how are they getting to the bathroom? It, you see all these things that, um, you know, that you don't really notice when you're at the hospital. So it was always, First of all, them allowing you into their home was always like an honor that they would let you into their home. Yeah. Um, and then for you to be able to really help them on a totally different level, because you could give them more, you could give them better suggestions and teach them appropriately for what they were dealing with. Did they have a small dog that they might trip over? You know, things like that. So, um, and, and I always, again, I always felt like it was an honor that they would let you into their home. Um, that's a very private thing. And so, again, it's a different type of case management. There's something out there probably from a lot of nurses that are, that are considering it. 
there's a lot of different where places that they can work and um, still get the level of involvement with the client that they like. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought up that kind of intimacy of the home. You know, I did home health, I did hospice. And when I worked at that outpatient clinic doing HIV and complex case management, I actually did also go to patients' homes. I even rounded on them when they were in the hospital. So I did get to see their homes. And there's something about being allowed into someone's castle, right? Being a guest in their castle. And there's the other thing of, you know, I worked in many different situations with I worked with, I had wealthy clients in some circumstances. I had a lot of socioeconomically challenged clients who lived in pretty sketchy neighborhoods. And um, I would get to see like, you know, where their drug deals going down in the hallway and um, who comes and goes from the home while I'm there, you know, and, and how sketchy does some of that feel and, you know, how clean or dirty or whatever is the home and where are they keeping their dressing supplies, you know, and and is there a clean place for them to put them? You know, there's so many things. And with a lot of my clients, as I got to know them, they would be generally comfortable with me looking in their fridge to see what kind of food they had, you know, and I would do sort of like, like for my diabetic patients, I would do a spot check. I said, I'm going to look in your fridge and your cabinets and see what kind of food you have around these days. And I'd be like, Oh boy, you know, <laughs> so there are a lot of teaching moments based on what I saw. And, you know, that is really informative. And when you're in the acute care setting or any other setting, you don't have an idea. They're just telling you. And so I do really did appreciate that, that um, intimacy of going into someone's home. It's, it is really an honor. And sometimes it can be pretty chaotic and crazy. So you see some interesting things. And what about, before we take a break, what about certification? You know, people often ask me about, you know, the national certifications that exist for case management. Are these really ways in which you can make yourself more attractive for a job? Or is this something you kind of get once an employer hires you and they pay for you to get certification? That's a great question. Um, so the the certifications that are out there that are most respected all are based off of you already having experience when you come into case man when you t- come in to take your certification. So to, to even apply for them, you need to have one to two years of experience as a case manager before you can even apply. So it's kind of like that catch twenty two where it's like, okay, well, they ask for certification in their, you know, when they're putting the job posting up, but you can't get certification until you're already working as a case manager. And that's one of the ways, um, actually what we just talked about is in working in the community setting or the home health setting, a lot of people don't understand that when you work as a home health nurse or a hospice nurse, your, your title is usually case manager or care manager. Good point. And so that will qualify you to take these exams, to sit for these exams, that experience. So I tell people that are having trouble getting their foot in the door that they may want to do that for one year to two years to meet the qualifications, to sit for the exam, take the exam. And then now you have the experience and you have the certification, which is going to put you to higher up on the list of candidates. Yeah. And there's, there's certified case manager, CCM, right? And then aren't there a few other acronyms or designations? There are. um, The two 
well, there's probably three that are the top for case managers and CCM is considered the gold standard. It has, uh, there are somewhere between 30 and 50,000 certified case managers. It's the, the number one. It encompasses all types of case managers. So you can be a social worker, as long as you have a license, as I said before, or a, um, a license or an education that allows you to perform an independent assessment and you've done some type of a clinical, you can sit for the CCM exam, whether you're a social worker, whoever, whether you work in the hospital setting, community setting, it's very inclusive. Mm-hmm. The, the next one that is one of the more popular ones is the ANCC. So ANCC has a board certification for case managers. Now, of course, because it's the American Nurse Credentialing Center, you have to be a nurse. So that one would only be for nurses. And it tends to skew a little bit more towards the acute care side. And then there's another one, and it's, the name of it escapes my memory right now, but it's basically for nurses that are working in the acute care setting. So I it's see. solely for nurses and solely for nurses and solely for nurses in the acute care setting. We actually have a blog article about this because we get asked about it so many. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. These are all good things to know because these are the questions people ask me. So we're recording this so I can point them to this episode. <laughs> so when we come back from the break, we're going to talk Turkey about money and benefits because that's one of the next questions is people want to know what they can earn as a case manager. They want to know what the benefits look like and how they get taken care of by their employers. And then there's a lot of other things to talk about too. So does that sound good for the second half? Sounds perfect. All right. So hang in there with us folks, and we will be right back with the second half of this special episode of the Nurse Keith Show with Deanna Gillingham of the Case Management Institute. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with my friend and friend of the pod, Deanna Gillingham of the Case Management Institute. And Deanna, we've been talking all things case management, and there's plenty to talk about. And we're going to talk about money in a second. But the first thing I wanted to do is talk about you a little bit. So you're a certified case manager, and you're an author and an entrepreneur, and you have a lot of experience in a lot of different areas. You've done transplant case management. You've done complex case management. You've worked in, gosh, med surge, dialysis, oncology, hospice, SICU, LDRP, L&D. You've been around. You've been a travel nurse. I mean, you've done so many things. So what, what has this journey been like for you? And how many years has it been that you've been, been a nurse? So I've been a nurse for over 25 years Mm -hmm. and I do have the personality that when I kind of get something, when I feel like I've mastered it, I don't think we ever truly master, but then I get that itch to learn something new, which as you just read, can be um, one of the reasons why I switch from specialty to specialty to specialty is because I'm always looking to learn something new. So that's reflected in my resume. It is. It is. And it's an impressive resume. And you've written a couple of books. One is called CCM Certification Made Easy, Your Guide to Passing the Certified Case Manager Exam. 
and that's third edition right now. And then you have Foundations of Case Management, a practical guide for RNs transitioning from nurse to case manager. So why did you feel these books were necessary? Were you getting asked the same questions over and over again? Or, and was there just not a good place for people to go to get their questions answered? Those are, that's a really good question. So when I, I never intended to write a book, um, honestly, I was studying for the exam and I was looking for a book and I knew exactly what I was looking for. They gave us an exam blueprint. They said, here's all the topics you need to know. And I was looking for a book that had all those topics in it. And there was not one. Uh oh. <laughs> yes. So I had to start researching all of this. A lot of books had some of them, but they all had the same things over and over. Nothing was like answering all of the points that we were going to be given on the exam. And when I was finished, I was like, wow, nobody should ever have to do this again. It took me well over a year to research all these while working full-time and raising a family. So I had a friend right after I was taking the exam that who also needed to take the exam and to pass it to keep her job. And she had taken it twice and not passed. And she asked me for help. And I was like, Hey, here's my notes, take them and see if these help you. And they did. And so then I was like, okay, we got something here. We should be able to share these with the rest of the case managers out there. So they don't have to do this on their own. We can give them the information they need. You still have to study, but we're going to make it as easy as possible. So we published the book or I, I published the book and um, it did very well because again, it was, it was something that was needed. There was a, there was a, a lack of a good resource for studying for the exam that was actually written by somebody who knows case management. There were a lot of books that were out there that were just written by, um, I call them like mills, like they write for every single topic that's out there and they don't necessarily have case managers writing it. And because case management is so different, you can't say if you, you know, hey, I wrote the NCLEX test book and now I'm going to write the case management textbook because and the CNA textbook because they just don't all, they're not the same information. So after that, people were coming to me wanting to get into case management and they were telling me that they were referred to the CCM prep book to learn case management. And I was like, oh no, this assumes that you have a understanding um, that you've worked in case management for a year or two. And it kind of starts you off at a level beyond a beginner. So there's a lot of terms that would be used that they wouldn't understand or know. And I felt like I could make it easier for them by doing a foundations of case management book. So that's Basically, a lot of the information in there is just written for a nurse who wants to work as a case manager. So we take this, the knowledge and the skills and all of the things that you've learned in your career as a nurse, and we let you know how you're already doing some of the things that case managers do. You're already advocating for your patient. You're already, you know, in, in case management, we say transitions of care. We, tra we transition our patients. So when we send them home with home health, we discharge them home. But as a case manager, you're transitioning them. So just little things like that. We're teaching them, you already know this. And then what you, we're going to tell you how it's done in case management. And then we're going to build off of that. Once you got that foundation of these are the things you already know. Now, here's the things that you need to know to build on, to understand and be a good case manager, such as insurance. Um, that's, I think, one of the biggest insurance and computers are the two biggest um, blocks for most people going into case management. I bet. Yeah. So as a bedside nurse, you didn't care if your patient had insurance, didn't have insurance, had great insurance, had crappy insurance. It didn't matter if the doctor said, put in an IV. Yes, 
put in an IV. Mm-hmm. And if the doctor said, take them to the OR, you took them to the OR. If the, if the doctor said, discharge them to home health or to a SNF or to rehab, you just discharge, you gave them the discharge instructions. But as a case manager, all of a sudden, the type of insurance they have matters. And it matters to the patient. And I think that's the most important thing because the patient has co-pays, the patient has deductibles, the patient may be paying out of pocket. So you need to know the resources that that patient has. How can you make this the most cost-effective way for them? Using an in-network rehab versus an out-of-network rehab could save that patient tens of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important for you to learn the insurance principles that go along so that you can go and transition from nurse to case manager. So that's where that book, and sorry, I'm very passionate about that. So that was a long, long-winded answer. That's okay. And, and part of that is being an advocate, right? Finding Absolutely. out what's going to be most affordable for the patient, et cetera. So that's, yeah, that's super important. And the Case Management Institute is about educating people, right? To be case managers and you're the CEO. And I know you have a Facebook group, the Case Managers Community. It has over 20,000 case managers on it. So it's a real community of people out there who you can talk to. So you have a lot going on around trying to to pave the way for people to enter into this particular specialty. Right. And and not just to enter, but enter and do it well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we just had somebody post the other day. They said, you know, I've been a case manager for a few months and I still feel lost. How long does it take? to really feel like you know what you're doing. And the answer is about a year. And so we're there and we have people that are asking questions, you know, how do I find resources for this patient? What do I do? You know? And so we, we want to make sure that you have all the tools, all the, everything you need. And there are, as a case manager, you usually get the, the routine is routine. But the ones that you really can impact are the ones that are not routines. So mm-hmm. It might be something that you don't see very often or you've never seen before. But when you can reach out to a community of 20, it's actually 22,000 other case managers and say, hey, has anybody seen something like this? How can I help this patient? You mm-hmm. have a much better chance of being able to advocate for the patient and get the patient what they need. Good point. Yeah. And, you know, right before the break, I said that we were going to be talking about money and some people may be waiting on the edge of their seats to know like, so what is this all about really? And what can I actually earn? So of all these thousands of people who were surveyed for your survey that you did with ACSM, what, um, what did you find? And what is the, you know, what is the base salary that, that many are making at this point? Yeah. So this was really interesting to me because right before we did our survey, the um, American Nurse Journal did their survey. And I was curious to compare what nurses were making to what case managers were making. And, you know, a lot of people ask, will I make the same? You know, I don't know. Let's find out. (laughs) So that was one of the reasons why we wanted to do this survey. And we found that now, again, remember, this is nurses all over the US. So mm-hmm. if you live in California or New York, you're going to it's going to be different than if you live in Alabama. But the majority of case managers, 62%, earn a salary of 80,000 or more. And when you compare that to the nurses, only 39% of nurses earn between 80 and 139,000. Wait, so, so so 62% of case managers 
earn a salary of $80,000 or more, and only 39% of nurses earn a salary of $80,000 to $130,000. To, to $139,999, yes, according to... No, no, no. And this wow, is according that's... to American Nurse Journal 2021 Nursing Trends and Salary Survey. That is really, really interesting. So 62% of case managers earn 80,000 or more. So that's that's a pretty good number. And for people who want to earn a decent living, I'm sure, you know, on the coasts of the US, you know, San Francisco, like you said, or maybe even in Hawaii or Atlanta, New York, Boston, the salaries probably skew a little higher, but we also have to consider cost of living. I always talk with my clients about cost of living and you can look up the cost of living index of any place really easily. New York City, Manhattan specifically, I think is at like 160, meaning 100 is actually like the national average. So it's like 60% more than the national average. And so that's something to consider when you think, oh my God, look at the salaries in California. Think about the cost of living. So if you can land a good job and you live in Tulsa, for instance, you could actually do, you could do really well, can't you? You really can. And I, and that's such an important point. Um, you know, when in, in our community, in our Facebook group, when somebody talks about a job or uh, them getting hired somewhere, our West Coast, our coastal people get really excited if it's not under a hundred, if it's under a hundred thousand dollars, they're like, who can live off of that? And it's like, oh, but you can, if you live in, like I lived, used to live in Lexington, South Carolina, you can live very nicely sure off can. of that there. Um, so you have to look at where you're living. But I think the important thing is we're comparing nurses to case managers all over the country on average, how much are they making? So that's where, you know, what we're saying, a lot of nurses are like, I can't do anything else to make this kind of money. And we're like, yes, you can. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of them, they, a lot of nurses I know tell me, and they probably tell you, your coaching clients, like they don't want to go to a school nurse because they'll be making less money. They don't want to go to a physician's office because they'll be making less money. But here's an option of something that you can do that you can make as much or more than you're making. Now, I'm, Assuming that the nursing survey that they did is probably base salary and not your differentials and you know your weekend and your nights and all yeah, of that, right. but it's still nice to know that there's something out there that's very comparable to what we're making at the bedside. Yeah, that is really nice to know. And what's very interesting on the next page is that when you asked about where people's salaries were compared to 12 months ago, 64.5% said their salary had increased. And yes. only 5% said it had decreased and 29% said it stayed the same. So 64% saw an increase in salary at this time in history over the last year. So, and then when we move on to satisfaction, we see that a large number of case managers actually have a pretty high level of job satisfaction, don't they? Yes. So we asked them how likely are you to stay with your current employer? Because I think that tells us a lot about how satisfied they are. And 72% of case managers said that they planned on staying with their, their current employer. And at the same time, only 40% of nurses were saying that they planned on staying with their current employer. So that 
tells us a lot too. And, you know, there's benefits information and people will be able to download this from the show notes, but, you know, 83% have medical insurance, 82% have a 401k, 78% of life insurance, you know, so it, it's comparable or better than many other specialties and professions that we see out there in terms of benefits and including time off, you know, paid vacation. We have 21% of case managers get four weeks off a year. So that tells us something too. And people report that they don't work weekends very much either. In 2022, 79.6% said they don't work weekends. So, and 76% said they don't work holidays. So how do you how do you feel about that as compared to say a nurse in, in the hospital, for instance? I think it really depends on where you're at um, in your life. I would think that most nurses, I, I know when I first started and you hear you have to work weekends and holidays, you're like, okay, you know, I'll do my share. But after my 25 years in nursing, it gets old. It gets old missing your kids' soccer games every other week. It gets old working every holiday because even if you have it off, you, you know, I would work night shift the day before. So I was so tired that I slept through it. So to me, the fact that you can earn a good living, you know, comparable to what a bedside nurse makes, but not have to work all the off shifts, the evenings and the weekends is to me a very, it's, it's a positive. And it's not to say that there aren't any places, especially like the ERs. If you're an ER, you may, um, case manager, you may have to work on the weekends and you may have to work on holidays and you may have to work off shifts. But for the majority of case managers out there, because they're coordinating, um, a lot of what they're doing is coordinating the next level of care, or they're dealing with insurance companies, and those places are only open, you know, business hours. So the case manager needs to be working business hours to be able to communicate with them. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's something to say about the, how would we say it? the challenges of what it means to be a case manager as well. And so before we, 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 as we wind down, I just wanted to say that, you know, we're talking about great salaries, great benefits, high levels of job satisfaction. And the main obstacle that people identified they face in their role is finding resources to meet their clients' needs. And this, I guess this is just the state of, the world in our country right now, you know, in terms of um, finding what clients need? And do you think this has to do with kind of there being a dearth of services out there that we need? Or is it that places are understaffed that where you're trying to send your patient or refer them to? You know, why, why is finding resources such like the hardest part of case management, the most frustrating part? Yeah, a lot of it is because each individual client's needs are different. So it's not necessarily that every patient who has a certain diagnosis is going to need the same thing. And then when you add on top of that, their reimbursement, their insurance can be different. You can have one patient who has no insurance whatsoever. Their self-pay, they have they need free. They, they need everything as low as you can get. Then you have somebody else who maybe has insurance, but their insurance only allows so many 
there's a limit or a cap on how much they can get. And then every, every patient is just so different. You know, one might have transportation needs. They can't get to the doctor's office for the follow-up. Another one might have great insurance and great pharmacy benefit, but they can't get to the pharmacy to pick up their rent. So every one of these patients has something different and you're constantly looking for new resources. And then the, the resources in the community, such as food banks and, you know, things like that, sometimes they come and go um, based on staffing, based on grants, based on how they're getting financed and if they're getting financed, if the economy is doing well and you have a lot of people donating, if the economy is not doing well and you have a lot of people stressing. There's a pandemic happening, for instance. Exactly, exactly. Um, The pandemic was really terrible because a, a lot of patients were not sick enough to stay in the hospital, but they needed to go home with oxygen. Well, there was no oxygen. So finding that resource for that patient when everybody that you call is saying, sorry, we don't have any, and we don't know when we're going to be getting any in is really tough. So yes, it's, I don't want to make it sound like it's just, um, it's the perfect job, but for somebody who likes puzzles and challenges and can see these things as that way, um, it can also be kind of rewarding. Like I know for me, I like puzzles and challenges and, you know, the mysteries and how can you make something how can you create something out of nothing? So it was always interesting to me to try to say, okay, this is what the patient's need is. How can we fill it? And maybe not in a conventional way. Mm-hmm. Maybe their insurance doesn't cover that. So how, how else can we get them what they need? Mm-hmm. So there's some creativity involved. Yes, and yes. you know, the majority of the problems and obstacles faced by case managers are resources and time. You know, yes. because there's so much to do. So we don't want to sugarcoat it, right? There, there are things that every job has its challenges and vicissitudes, and we're not saying case management's perfect. It's just, it's, you know, if you're working on the floor, there's going to be plenty of challenges. If you're working in, in, you know, a doctor's office, there's plenty of challenges. So if, right, if you like to solve puzzles, if you like to be that person who like, you're almost like a private eye trying to figure things out. Yes. I used to like that part of case management. I, right. it was kind of fun. And sometimes it was pretty um, frustrating too, but still yes. satisfying when you figure it out and your yes. patient's you happy patient, and safe. Yeah. When you have a patient where you think you've taught them everything and you can't figure it out and you go into their home and you know, you, you've taught them about the low sodium diet and all this stuff. And then you walk in there and you see that they're having, they're eating broth mm-hmm. and from a can and you're like, yeah. no, that's high in sodium. Yeah. And they like, nobody that's told like me that. Days worth of sodium. Yeah. You just they had, just told right? me not to take lunch meat. They didn't tell me not to have a canned yeah. soup. So. I know. Been there. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is all great information and we're going to have a link for people to download the the survey and we'll have a link to casemanagementinstitute.com. But before we go, I have four quick questions I've been asking of all my guests lately and you have never answered these before. So are you game? Sure. Okay. They're just four quick questions and four quick answers. So the first one is how do you define success personally or professionally? Uh, I think success is when you are actively reaching or actively pursuing something worthwhile. That's really concise. And that's a good one. Could you name or just describe one person who's inspired you in the course of your life? They can be living or dead, famous or not famous. Oh, wow. So, um, honestly, my business and life partner, Abby, he is, 
Um, he has inspired me to think outside the box and live life a little differently than I always thought I had to be lived. Mm-hmm. Avi's a wonderful man. I've met him several times. I've hung out with both of you in Mexico where you live and um, right on the Caribbean. It's really lovely. And um, he's a wonderful person. And I knew you were going to say him. <laughs> okay. So next question, is there a book or movie? Could be either one. And it doesn't have to be an absolute favorite, just one that comes to mind that's had a major impact on the way you think or the way you live your life? Oh, that's a really good question. Hmm. So um, yes, there is a book. There are several books because I I love books. Me too. But um, one of them that really had me think differently about things was, um, oh gosh, it's it's hard to narrow it down to one, but the one that I'm thinking of right now is um, The One Thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Who wrote that? Oh gosh, I can't think of it. I, it's sitting on my my desk out. In the other yeah, room, <laughs> yeah. The one thing. Yeah, that's that's a popular one. Yeah, yeah. That is a good one. Okay. And what's one piece of advice you'd give eighteen-year-old Deanna right now, whether you think she would listen or not? Oh gosh. Um, the one piece of advice that I would have to give eighteen-year-old Deanna would be to not be afraid and just go for it. And actually when you're afraid, that means something good's going to happen and do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Several people have given almost that exact answer. That's interesting because I think that invisible audience in our heads when we're 18 can keep us from taking risks, can it? It sure can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are really good ones. Thanks for playing along. And Deanna, you're so wonderful. And thanks for being on the show a third time. And um, I send my best to you and Avi down there in, at, in Puerto Aventuras, Mexico. And um, I just thank you so much. And this is a really great survey that I think a lot of people are going to get a lot out of. And I'll be pointing people in that direction. Awesome. Thank you again for having me for the third time on the show. It's always a pleasure to get to connect with you and catch up and always a pleasure to be hopefully inspiring your audience and spreading the word about case management. Thanks so much, my friend. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. The show notes will be at nursekeith.com. You'll find a link to the survey and a link to the Case Management Institute. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered and maybe convinced to check out case management. And if you need personalized holistic career coaching, check out nursekeith.com. Mention the show and get 10% off your first coaching package. And consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith. It really helps support the show. Even $2 a month really does a lot to help me keep the show on the road. Well, on the air. And you can head over to patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith. We're proud members of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We're produced adroitly by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart newsletter wrangler and social media ringmaster before we say goodbye i'll leave you with this quote by the musician robert fripp one of my favorite quotes may my living honor my parents may my living repay the debt of my existence be well dig deep seek joy keep in touch this is nurse keith saying adios till next time from beautiful santa fe new mexico and the inimitable deanna gillingham saying adios and arrivederci from 
from sunny Puerto Adventuras, Mexico. Awesome. That sounds so beautiful right now. Thank you so much, Deanna. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we will catch you on the proverbial flip side.